0: It is the first week of february 2023 this is the we hate your team podcast a proud part of the vsn collegiate network i am kelly ford with me as always is my co-host zach king kinger it's national signing day how are we feeling
1: feeling great man another action-packed national signing day although i will say is not quite as action-packed as previous years obviously them switching the early signing period a lot of these big major commits already made their decisions back in December but still a lot of action today a lot of teams rounding out or teams rounding out their final 2023 recruiting class still a lot of big names out there and once again man it looks like the SEC specifically Georgia and Alabama are a king they just keep the train
0: rolling down there. King speaking of king uh king I have made a vow to myself. I feel like I've reached the age now and I'm only 30 years old. You're just behind me there. But I feel like I find myself a lot of times wishing for the quote, good old days in college football. And I'm committed to not taking that approach and attitude. So I won't go down that road. I will say I agree with you. With the uh, introduction of the early signing period a couple, de- a couple years ago, it has taken some of the luster out of the first February- the first Wednesday in February, uh, the traditional National Signing Day. King, I posted on Twitter uh, on National Signing Day, I used to skip class in college to stay in the dorm or stay at the fraternity and just watch all the coverage for hours on ESPNU is where I watched it at the time. The first year that I was a working professional out of undergrad, I took my first ever vacation day to stay home and watch the National Signing Day coverage. I'll be honest, King, I was working all day today, like always. I kind of had it on in the background. I was listening. I was paying attention. It just doesn't have the same feel as it had previously. Not to say there aren't some big names out there that committed today. We'll get into that. And that it's not still a special day in the college football calendar, but certainly not what it used to be pre-early signing period, yeah?
1: There's no doubt about that. And I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet today too. Like, Ohio State was pretty much had their class wrapped up. They like tweeted out that it was time to to have the final guys sign. Then, like, 15 minutes later, it was like, okay, this is the end of our signing class. Definitely not the same, especially when you have a situation like last month. We have three five star recruits flipped to different schools in a single, you know, 48 hour, 72 hour span. That's really where all that excitement was. Used to get that back in our old college days, back you know a few years ago on this February first every year. But it has taken some luster still. But still, there's some big names, right? And there's still a lot of movement in the portal. Uh, A lot of schools still were waiting on a lot of key guys today. So it is what it is. It's still exciting. But I'm with you. Just very, very light background today. Checking Twitter in between work breaks just to see what's going on, see what the latest commitments are. Still a big deal. We're still all about it, but. It's not the same. There's there's some truth to that. I
0: think Ohio State, uh, I think I saw they already have their eye turned towards the 2024 class. And I get it. You're always recruiting multiple classes. And in the transfer portal, era, King, you're always recruiting your own team, your own program. I mean, every time you end the regular season, it's like, hey, we got to make sure all the guys that are not either going pro or graduating are not going to hit the transfer portal. So coaches these days... They're getting paid a lot of money. They got to recruit everybody all the time. Uh, I definitely feel for them in that area, but it is their chosen line of work. And we're going to talk about it, King. You said Alabama, back on top, still on top. Uh, I know Texas A&M had the number one spot last year with the highest rated class in 24 seven sports history. Alabama this year takes the number one class. King, is that where you want to start or I'll let you drive this thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's start with Alabama. And I think a topic of conversation that I would like to start with that I had a little bit of internal discussion around this week and would like to hear your thoughts on it. But, you know, Alabama breaking a record here, most five stars ever in a class. What's a little bit amazing to me, Kelly, you look at all this turnover that that the Alabama staff had this year. They lost both their coordinators. They still are, you know, here we are February 1st. They still haven't made a hire for either coordinator position. There's a lot of rumors that Jeremy Pruitt, there's some stuff going on with the NCAA. He's supposedly going to be the D coordinator. That's what it sounds like, but there isn't a ruling yet on that. Alabama's had multiple Guys, turn them down on the offensive side of the ball, including most recently Ryan Grubb, who has decided to stay at Washington at the offensive coordinator position. But still, that doesn't matter when you have the greatest college football coach of all time in Nick Nick Saban. Pretty amazing what he was able to do. And in a lot of cases, you look at these other schools, coordinators are a big part of that recruiting process. You know, they they. Really, I'll play a big part in have, having these kids pick schools that they're going to go play football at. And for Alabama to get that in so such really what's maybe a little bit of an unstable time in their program, it's always stable under Saban, but, you know, this is, this is a little bit new for them. This roller coaster they've been through trying to hire these coordinators, it's still pretty impressive.
0: It's very impressive, King, and I, I'm on record. I've shared it on the podcast. I've shared it on Twitter. Uh, Nick Saban, in my opinion, you said he's the greatest. I think he's the greatest. Um, I don't think it's really debatable at this at this point in time. Now Kirby's going to be doing his best, right? He's won two in a row. He's a Saban protege. He has the blueprint. He knows what he needs to do to, to win at Georgia. We've seen that. So let's have a conversation again in 10 years and see how it's going. But for right now, Nick Saban's list of accomplishments are unmatched in college football coaching history. I think, King, it's, it's different because we talked a year ago about – Dabo and and Clemson. So Dabo's won a couple national titles. It's been a few years now, but he's been in the playoffs since. He keeps winning ACC championships, all that stuff. But Dabo did it with a different approach than Nick Saban. Dabo did it by having the continuity. It was was the all-in, it was the family, it was the same coaches. He'd only lost, I think, one or two coaches over the course of really his run at Clemson since the Mm -hmm. national championship started happening. Then last year, he has to replace the coordinators, and we see how that goes. And so he's figuring out now, a year in and a year through that, how to adjust and how to make those changes. For Nick Saban, King, he's been doing that every single year for the last decade plus. So I I get what you're saying in – they still haven't filled those roles which i'd have to go back and check i don't remember if they'd fill if this is like is this the latest that they've gone without filling i'm like i'm not sure about that maybe it is maybe it isn't but they, feels that yeah. way. I
1: don't know if that's accurate, but it does feel that way to me, especially because they've had multiple people turn down these positions in recent weeks. That's not something I've seen or that I can remember seeing having multiple candidates turn down to go work for Nick
0: Saban. And that part is fair. I will give you that, and I'm not sure what to make of that. I think time will tell. I'm still giving Nick Saban every benefit of the doubt that there is, so I'm not questioning it. I'm not concerned about it. He's used to this turnover every single year, not just as coordinators, but you know, strength coach a few years back went to went to Georgia with uh, with Kirby Smart. Uh, pos- position coaches leave all the time because they're going to get coordinator jobs at other schools. Like He does such a good job of grooming the coaches that he has on his staff for their next step, whatever that is, coordinator role, head coach role, whatever, that he's used to this turnover. I don't know if it's a, a red flag that, hey, they've had people in and they haven't come to terms. Again, I don't know if it's... Uh, They're not offering enough money. I'd have a hard time believing that. I don't know if it's people don't want to work for Nick Saban because of what he demands. Again, I'd have a hard time believing that. Just look at the man's track record. But again, I'm a Saban fan. I'm not a Bama fan. I'm a Saban fan, so I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt. I tend to, to to say, hey, he'll figure it out, because we've seen time and time again he does that. So, yeah, King, Alabama no, resumes the number one class this year. You're talking about all the five stars, all the four stars. I think maybe you were going off ESPN, maybe, King, with your numbers. Is that right? I'm...
1: Yeah, yeah I, I got everything open go. right in front of me, but that's based off of what ESPN, that's, that's, that's what they have it rated. I think there was only one five star that actually – Actually, again, and that it depends on, on where on your we're service. going here. But you had, yeah, on your service. I mean, you had Ellis Robinson who committed to Georgia today. He's the cornerback. And then again, depending on where you're looking, Nicholas Harbor, who's a four or five star athlete from DC, he committed to South Carolina. And I know that was a big gift for the Gamecocks. I, I think he chose them over LSU, Miami, Oregon, USC. Um, I'm not sure if that was projected there, but I believe those are the only two five stars or high four stars. There were some other four stars that went today, but um, I know those were the two big names that were still. Uh, up in the air. And then they had the the tight end as well, uh, who opted not to sign today. I don't know what, what what exactly is going on with him. Deuce Robinson, the tight end from Arizona, uh, yeah, I think he was supposed to sign. But I think those are the only remaining five stars on.
0: So I remember the first time that I – the first time I recall somebody, a notable prospective uh, student athlete, high school athlete, waiting past National Sign Day to sign and really dragging it out. The first one I could really remember, the one I think back to, is Jadavian Clowney. I remember King. He's the same high school class as us, 2011. He remains the highest-rated yeah. recruit in 24/7 sports history every year. I check that and say, "Oh, is Jadaevin still up there repping the class of 11?" He still is. Still has that perfect one-one uh, score or 100 score. Uh, there's others that have it as well, but his name's always listed first. I don't know how they do the tiebreaker, but he waited to commit until I want to say it was February 14th because that was his birthday, that Valentine's Day. I think it's his birthday, so he was waiting a couple weeks to do that, but. Either way, they're going to commit when they're ready. Um, King, I, I am partial to 24-7 sports here as of late, uh, especially as, as I've started doing the ratings and incorporating um, the weighted four-year recruiting rankings. Those are That is one of three primary inputs into my preseason uh, ratings and my predictive model. Alabama King, just to, to wrap up on them, they remain number one in my weighted four-year rankings. Uh, they were there last year. They're there this year. Um, they are a team... They're, they're, they're number one in my uh, weighted four-year K-Ford ratings as well, which is another input. We'll see what the returning production has to say when I get through that calculation over the course of the next few months, but I firmly expect Alabama to be my number one rated team in the preseason next year, and yes, that is after Georgia has won two consecutive national championships and everything else you want to say about Georgia. They've been phenomenal. I expect my top three will be Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State in that order, King. Uh, who knows? We'll see what re- returning production says, but that's where I am for right now.
1: And uh, I don't think that's going to surprise too many people. Again, we—I think everybody can be expected that that Alabama is going to be right there again next year. But you know, Georgia, rightfully so, two back-to-back national championships—they deserve to right be in there in that conversation. But the next thing I wanted to discuss with you, Kelly, we're talking four or five stars. What are your thoughts on the Big Ten, man? I think it's one consensus five-star in the entire Big Ten this year. It's the lowest of any of the Power Five schools. I saw that there were 18 different schools that a five-star athlete committed to, and the Big Ten had one or zero, depending on what you're looking at. What's up with that? So
0: I won't lie to you, King. As a fan of Ohio State, you know, went to Purdue. Purdue's my number two team. You're obviously Purdue through and through. So we're Big Ten guys. We Everyone knows this. It's concerning. Like, that. that's – no, doubt. that's not, no, that's doubt. not good. And, and I'll, and I'll speak like, I'll be re- I'm real concerned if I'm, you know, Michigan, Penn state, some of these other teams in the big 10 who you're like, we really should be getting, you know, a five-star or a couple five stars. Oh,
1: oh. Michigan's off back-to-back final four appearances and, and they have the worst recruiting class in 2018. I, I'm going to I mean, I want to. I'd be interested with the K four uh, numbers say on that, but that's based on the rankings. Uh,
0: that it looks like this is the worst class. Of I'm, I'm going to get to Michigan here in a second. Uh, oh, same thing with Ohio State, though. Ohio State has one five star. That's the fewest they've had in you know five or six years or whatever it is. So it's not. I'm not poking Michigan and Penn State. I'm just saying they had none. I'm sure their fan bases expect to have some. Ohio State's I know darn well expects to have more than just one. Um, so yeah, King, it is concerning. I'm, Here's what I'll say though, I it's concerning, but I'm not like I'm not going crazy with it because it is just one year, it is very fluid. Stars do matter. Do not take what I'm about to say by me being, oh, Kelly's saying stars don't matter. Stars absolutely matter. However, as long as the majority of your class is made up of four and five star prospects, not just five, fives Fives are great, and you want fives. That's why they're fives. But as long as you have the majority fours and fives, it's the blue chip ratio, right? It's what Bud El- Bud Elliott put out there years ago. He's famous for. We're going to get Bud on as a guest here. I don't know if it's going to be this summer or it's going to be in the 2023 season, but we've already confirmed him. He's going to be on. He can talk more about it. As long as you've got that, which Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, these these kind of the big the big hitters in the Big Ten on an annual basis. No disrespect to Wisconsin or Michigan State or Purdue or Nebraska. Any Minnesota, name it. They're all great. Iowa but the big hitters year in and year out they're all up there in in the blue the, the blue chip ratio so that's what you need king my numbers for the for the big 10 which is what i'm looking at more than any one class or any you know g- grouping of five stars in the weighted four year recruiting rankings updated today and this is not final right now i have kind of the for the 23 class it's kind of the raw recruiting ratings what i do king once i have a little bit more time is i go through and look at what teams needs are and so if you've brought in if you brought in a five-star receiver at Ohio State, for example, but your receiver room's already loaded, which it is, I might and will downgrade that just a little bit. Whereas if you bring in a five-star offensive lineman and you're and, and he's going to start right away because your O-line's not great, you're actually going to get a little bit more of a bump than just a normal five-star O-lineman, right? So I really match team needs, again, based on my returning production, with the talent that they're bringing in, and then it all gets aggregated together. So there's a lot of checks and balances in here. It's a, it's a very long process that I'm not going to bore you with. But what I'm, my point is, this isn't final, but it, it's a very good idea of where we are right now. Ohio State, in the weighted four-year recruiting rankings, number three. That's number one in the Big Ten. They're number three nationally. Penn State, number 12, is second in the Big Ten. Here's Michigan King. They're down four spots from where they were a year ago. This year's class is not great, by their standards. But this does not account for transfers in or out. Transfers in and out are captured in my returning production. Again, that comes later. Michigan, while their high school class this year in my opinion was not great or was not quote up to their standards of what you might expect for a team that's been to two consecutive national or excuse me, uh national semifinal games. Not great. Their transfer class is actually pretty darn good. I mean, it's up there. It's among the best in the country. So they're going to get some points there in returning production. But they currently sit number 14, which is third in the Big Ten. The next Big Ten team, King, is actually Nebraska at number 26, Michigan at 28, Maryland at 29. Those are the teams in the top 30 of my weighted four-year averages. When you compare that to the SEC, which that's the Big Ten says the SEC is their rival, that's who they, that's their benchmark, that's who they compare it to. People can laugh at that, people can agree with that, people they disagree. That's the fact of the matter. The Big Ten views the SEC as their chief rival and their main competitor. Let me read you the SEC programs in the top 30. King number one, Alabama. Number two, Georgia. Number four, Texas A&M. Future member Texas is at number five. LSU six. Oklahoma future member number eight. Uh, Florida, number 13. Tennessee, number 15. Auburn, number 17. South Carolina, up a lot of spots. Up nine spots this year to number 20. Shane Beamer's doing great things down there. Uh, Kentucky, number 21. Arkansas, number 22. Mississippi State, 23. Ole Miss, 24. Missouri, 27. King, I don't even know how many I just named. Almost the the entire SEC is in the top 27. I'm looking, King, as I scroll to the next page to see what uh, Vanderbilt's at 44. Are they the only ones that I didn't name? I'll do a quick check here, but that's what my numbers say, King, so I'll give you that to react to.
1: It's concerning. It is no doubt concerning, and your comments about the Big Ten viewing the SEC as their biggest rival and competitor, there's 100% truth to that. But I think there is a harsh reality from the national standpoint, the national viewpoint, that I think the SEC has pretty clearly separated themselves as the premier football conference. and. It's tough for me to say that. It is. And there's arguments to be made that still that the best from the Big Ten can compete with the best from the from the SEC all day long. But when you look top to bottom, the amount of talent, where these schools are located in the recruiting rich portion of the country that they are, they've got the better access to the resources. They've got these better, closer connections to keep these kids closer to home. And they've just got the national brand right now with, with these big dogs. And when you look at a school like Michigan, who actually – Looking back, had quite a few of these big four and five stars on campus, not being able to close them. I saw they got a flip from four star Stanford today, but that's a little bit concerning. It really is. I mean, especially coming off of what, you know, Michigan fans had been hoping for for the last decade the opportunity to get back to a national semifinal or championship game. And, you know, they haven't gotten there yet, but back to back semifinals, you would think that this would be a hotbed. This would be a hot time for recruiting for Michigan. And there were the arguments, the rumors that Harbaugh was going to go to the NFL, but. From a perspective of the you know, the average you know, top 300 recruit in the country, if you have an opportunity to go play down south in the SEC where it does mean more in football, I think there is a, a, a pretty significant gap there from them in the Big Ten. And I don't know how you close that gap. I still think those, the, the main three schools you mentioned, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the, the Penn States, those still they're going to be fine year in and year out. They're not going anywhere. But when you look at the rest of the conference, how do they consistently get that bump? How do they get more competitive in these recruiting rankings? You look at some of these Big Ten schools, right? We're, we've got a, a three or four schools sitting sub-50 in your recruiting rankings. I, I'm pretty sure that's an accurate statement, three or four at least, Kelly. And so that's that's not a good position to be. I mean, Purdue's on that list as well. We've got to figure out a, a way. The Big Ten has to figure out a way to, to get, make those more appealing. I don't know what they're going to do. It's, it's a tough battle that they're going to face. But the SEC has definitely separated themselves, and it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge. I think for some of those teams going forward to continue to haul in good recruiting classes year in and year out.
0: Yeah, King, just to confirm, 13 of the 14 SECs in the top 27, the only one that's not is Vanderbilt, and uh, Texas and Oklahoma will be joining that. Uh, They're both top eight right now. If we're going to do that, though, uh, USC is number 18, a future Big Ten member, of course. But you talked about the gap, King. It's been there for a while. If we look at the national champions since 2001, or 2000 even, The only one north of the Mason-Dixon, I'm pretty darn sure, is Ohio State. Uh, If you take out the USC uh, national championship that they won, all you have to do is box off basically the new SEC footprint because you got Oklahoma and Texas in there, take it on over to the Atlantic Ocean down south, and that's where all the national champions have been with the exception of Ohio State and USC over the course of the last 20 plus years. So uh, national champions, they're coming out of there. And the reason for that, King, it's the topic of today's show, is the recruiting. You talked about it. These are the recruiting hotbeds. These are where all all the best players are playing their high school football. That doesn't mean that this is where all the best high school football players are from, but many now, whereas maybe it didn't used to be the case, are going to play their high school football at an IMG. At other schools like that in Florida or Georgia or wherever, uh, Louisiana, They are migrating south for the sole purpose of, yeah, I'm going to finish my high school education down here, but I'm also going to be able to play football year-round. It's, I don't know, King, I saw something about, um, I forget who it was, an Ohio State legend, though, but Bobby Carpenter. Somebody was talking about Ohio needs to be doing spring football. Ohio high school needs to be doing spring football because the South's been doing it for years. And if Ohio State wants to continue to compete with those schools in the South, they've got to start acting like a school in the South despite not being located in the South. So yeah, King, I'm with you. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you close the gap. I contend it's only going to get larger once Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC. It is one of the many reasons that I did not want that to happen. But here we are. uh, And that's the way that it's going to be moving forward. Again, vow to myself, don't be that guy that's always yearning for the quote, good old days. You're only 30. You're too young to be doing that. So that's my own pep talk to myself, King. Um, where are we going next, King?
1: I mean, I want to hear from your perspective, Kelly, maybe based on, you know, where we were at, who has maybe been a surprising team. And let's talk Power 5. Just uh, Let's keep it the Power 5 conferences as well. But maybe where is a surprising group or a surprising team or two that's that's made an impact on your list that you maybe didn't see
0: so I'm going to give you a couple here, King. I, in addition to updating the the four year recruit, weighted recruiting rankings today, I also made some summary charts of programs that are trending up and programs that are trending down. So I'm going to go to the programs trending up here, and you know me, I'll be talking about G5s for ten minutes, and we, no one wants to hear that. So thank you for saying the P5, uh, Texas Tech, King.
1: Well, hey, I I don't want let's. We are a non discriminatory podcast here, so if you got a group of five out there that's making moves. Give a shout out, but I'm just saying, like for today's topic conversation, I think we need to keep stick with the Power Five as much. As
0: I'll possible. give I'll give the shout out at the end. Texas Tech is number two on the the overall. The number one's a G five. Number two on the overall trending up programs. Texas Tech King is up 18 spots. They are up though. Instead of looking at the spots, I rather look at what are they up in terms of the rating. And again, I scale these ratings zero to one hundred, just like I do my team ratings. Texas Tech is up 12.6 points on a zero to hundred scale from 2022 preseason to 2023 preseason this is the best season texas tech has had since i want to say 2012 maybe is what my number said i have to go back and check that i posted that a couple of weeks ago this is a great season for texas tech one of their best in, in about a decade they got that momentum from on the field and they're taking it off the field king i am very impressed with what texas tech has done Uh they're all the way up there, like I said. Um, let me see what their actual.
1: Joey McGuire's got Joey maguire has got them them moving in a good direction down there. Actually, quick little funny story. I, I got to give a quick uh, shout out here. I guess a so quick little antidote. I was on, on Twitter this week. I saw a clip from Busting with the Boys, which is Will Compton and Taylor Wanns' podcast for Barstool. They had Matt Rule on, and uh, they were talking about the handshake after the game between coaches. And they said, you know, what's your line? What's your go-to line? And they talked about, you know, Matt Rule goes, you know, the one thing that you can do to fire up an opposing team's coach, the one line that you can use is go up to him, shake his hand and say, your boys played hard today after a win. He goes, that's the number one thing. As a coach, you just get so fired up. And he goes, you know who taught me that? Texas Tech, Joey McGuire. He said, that's where I got that from. And he goes, that's my stinger. That's the dagger I've been using because there's nothing worse as a coach, hearing that after a loss is your boys hard? Okay,
0: I actually, I actually, so I'm not obviously a college football coach. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. I would not think, King, that that would be like an insult or kind of a, a backhanded compliment, if you will. But good to know. And uh, if I'm ever out there on the rec fields, and uh, whether it's coaching or playing or whatever, and we get a win, that's what I'll go with. Give him a little, give him a little jab there. I like the feistiness. This is we hate your team.
1: Apparently that's 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 how you get under their skin. You don't like that. You just want the win. That's all you care about.
0: That is amazing. Texas Tech up to number 38 overall. Again, they're the second biggest risers in the trending up category. King, I'll give you a second one here because they're number four on this list. I'll keep it in the Big 12. It's Kansas State. Kansas State is up ten spots from last year. They are currently sitting in the number 51 spot, so they're a little bit behind Texas Tech overall. Uh, but they rose 10.9 points on the zero to 100 scale, which, like I said, is fourth best out of all 133 they, FBS teams. Winning that, winning a Big 12 championship will do that for you.
1: Definitely, they lost a few guys too. So I, I think they lost a running back, to, a four-star running back. I think to Colorado, he was ended up going to Notre Dame in Colorado, and they lost another four-star as well. So that's still them for them to be in that position, even after what they would probably consider a couple losses in the recruiting cycle. Good for those Wildcats. They are trending, man. I, I said it's going to be. Them, Baylor, Oklahoma State; those are my three teams in the new Big Twelve. That that I think you got to be as kind of the core top tier programs. Uh, going forward.
0: Let me give you Baylor and Oklahoma State, King, actually.
1: TCU too. Th- I want to include them. As well.
0: oh, okay, all three of them really close together in the weighted four-year rankings. TCU number 30, that's up five spots from last year. Baylor 33, they're up three spots. And Oklahoma State number 34, they're actually down four spots. But all of them right there uh, on the fringes of the top 30. King, I'll give you my last one and then I want to hear if you've got any that I didn't touch on uh, that have been surprising to you or that you've been impressed with. I'll give you my, G, my G5, the number one overall, only up five spots, but they rose 12.7 points on the 0-100. to UTSA, meet, meet, King, the Roadrunners.
1: Still in the mix, huh? Not going away. Even after the offensive coordinator, the changes, everything going down there. I mean, you got Frank Harris coming back in. He'll be like 25, 26. So, um, so
0: so what? here's what I'll say about them, King. As they check in now, they're sitting at, uh, I got to find where they are in this, uh, number 70. So see, King, here's the thing. They've had a lot of success here in recent years. They've achieved that success. They, 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 their win-loss record and their overall uh, team quality, as captured by my power ratings, they've, achie- they've overachieved their recruiting expectations, right? Like, they've been doing a lot better than we would expect of a team that's recruiting at mm-hmm. that level. So they've gotten a lot out of their players. Maybe the players that they brought in weren't given enough respect in the process, or maybe they just developed them really well. It's probably a combination of both. But now that they're having that success, you're starting to see the recruiting numbers improve. It's not necessarily going to mean that they're going to have more success than they have. But now we're coming to expect that level of play from them, and they're recruiting at that level. So um, I just want to be clear about what exactly it is I'm saying there. But, yeah, UTSA, you said Harris coming back for seemingly his 10th year. Hey, more power to him. Hope he has a great year. Hope UTSA does. And uh, they're making the move to the American this year, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to be brushing up on all the realignments here as I get the ratings in order over the course of the summer. But, King, what about you? I gave you UTSA. I gave you Texas Tech and Kansas State. Was there anybody – uh, that I didn't mention that's really stuck out to you is man, they actually they had a great class.
1: South Carolina is a team that I briefly mentioned coming in there, laying in their four star harbor. I think Beamer's got a pretty solid base here going. You know, they're gonna bring back a decent amount of returning production last year. They, you know, very strong uh recruiting class again this year. I think that that's a team that's, that's again, very up, up, up and coming. They made a stuck a step this year. I'll be interested to see if they take another step next year. And then surprisingly Auburn's sitting there at top 20 again. And I say that surprisingly with Auburn, but, even with all the turmoil and, and Hugh Freeze coming in with the question marks around him, they still managed to keep a lot of the good in-state Alabama talent. They snagged three or four four-stars out of the state of Alabama. Historically, Alabama, the University of Alabama and Saban have pretty much controlled that that state pretty much top to bottom, had their pick of the litter. It's still probably going to be the case as long as Saban's there. But uh, you know, again, it, it was to me for to sit in Auburn, that's where they deserve to be. But I was a little bit shocked to see them quite as high as they were. And then I mean, if you're going to look at two other schools, the Big Ten, Nebraska and Rule, he's making some immediate impact. Um, That's a program to me that is definitely going to be one to to keep an eye on here in the next three to four years. I don't care that they have not had the success that, that they've historically had since coming to the Big Ten. There's still a lot of tradition there. There's still a lot of money. There's still a lot of people that love football there. I think Matt Rule is a proven college coach. I think he's going to do a good job there. And I think you're already starting to see the impact of him there. And then Washington, that's the last squad that I want to have coming in out east today. They landed a four-star quarterback today. Uh, They've got another good recruiting class. They seem to be doing very well up in the northwest, but they've also expanded across the country. I think DeBoer is definitely an offensive guy that a lot of people are going to want to play for. And it's going to be them and Oregon in the Pac-12 now. It's, you know, I think it's, it's pretty much clearly in the football space. It's going to be – I mean, Utah is going to be in that conversation as well. But it's, it's Washington, Oregon, Utah, and then there's going to be a gap. You can't cut out Dion and Colorado, but Washington once again making some moves. I think they're going to be in a program again that's going to be successful here, challenging for that Pac-12 championship over the next three to five years.
0: I agree with you, King, all the way around. I think rural is going to be great at Nebraska. I think Washington is trending up. Those are two programs I'd absolutely be buying stock in right now if, they, if we were trading those. Um, Colorado, not too far off of being mentioned by me earlier. Mm-hmm. They're right there in the top 15 of the overall uh, trending up programs. King, yeah, I, you touched on all of them. I agree with you. The future of the Pac-12, as you look at what the membership's going to look like once USC and UCLA leave, I do think it's – I mean, it got to start with Utah. They've won the conference two years in a row. But Utah, it's Oregon, it's Washington. I do think Deion is going to get Colorado going. We've talked about that before, too. So I'm in agreement with you all the way around there, King. Uh, don't have a whole lot to add. Uh, I think those are great picks. I, 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 you didn't ask, but I'm going to take it the other, quest- the other way now, King. Who's, who's trending down? Who's going the wrong way here? Uh, and I'll, I'll be real brief with it, but uh, two teams. I'll give you two teams, and I'll give them quick. Cal, we just talked about the Pac-12. Cal, for me, is down 18 spots this year, but they're down 11.2 points on the 0-100 to scale. As I look to see where they've grayed out then in the actual rankings themselves, they are at number 66, uh, which again is right in the middle of FBS, but that puts you well below average in the Power 5, which obviously is what they're trying to compete with every year. And then the other one, King, who I think is maybe... They are, they are the number two as I'm looking at the list. Power five underachiever, or excuse me, trending down. They're number 13 overall on the list. There's a lot of G5s on this list, King. I don't think it's necessarily fair, but it is, it is what the numbers say right now. It's Wisconsin, King. Wisconsin is down, they're, they're down 10 spots. They're down seven points on the zero to 100 scale, and that puts them overall at number 35. So they were, they were 25 last year, they're 35 this year. I think part of this, right, they had a coaching change. And Luke Fickle coming in, mm-hmm. anytime you have a coaching change, it's reasonable, especially with the way that recruiting happens now constantly all the time, players committing early and all that. It's hard as a new coach to keep the players that are currently committed as well as go out and get good players that are going to come in and improve your recruiting ranking. Now, Deion's showing you can get things done last minute and, and make some moves. But but the bar, the, the recent recruiting bar at Colorado, was much lower than the recent recruiting bar has been at Wisconsin in terms of how the numbers view the the recruits coming in. So I don't think it's necessarily fair or or an indictment on Luke Fickle, but it is what the numbers say. Wisconsin is trending the wrong way. I will say I expect that to be turned around here as Fickle gets his feet under him and starts building the program at Wisconsin the way that he wants to. So again, I'm not not saying I'm worried or concerned for Wisconsin fans. I am saying right now, as things stand... Wisconsin is one of those programs that's trending down. King, I'll give you the number one overall trending down program right now. They're down 17.3 spots. That is a massive drop in one year. Uh, Again, I I haven't weighted, so it's not just this year's class. It's this year's class comes in and it's assigned the most weight. And what that means is the 2022 class, which previously had the most weight, now has the second most weight, and the 2023 class now has the third most weight, and the 2020. Uh, Sorry, the 2021 class. And the 2020 class now has the the least amount of weight, and the 2019 class drops off. So if you had a phenomenal 2019 class, last year it was counted as as the least weight, but now it's completely out of there. So that's just kind of how these numbers work and flow over the time. It's not all this year's class. It's an aggregate effect. But UNLV had dropped 17.3. That's big. It's 28 spots overall, the UNLV Rebels' uh, fall-down king. I don't understand it. They fired their coach Marcus Arroyo uh, this year, and they got Barry Odom, who is a very well-respected defensive. I, so coordinator. here's what I'll say: They fired Marcus Arroyo, who I, I, I it was the best UNLV team by my power ratings in a, in many years, like a few years. I mean, uh, close to ten years. I don't know why they fired mm-hmm. him because I think he was trending in the right direction and he was really building the program there. It's not an easy place to win. I think he was building it. I also have a soft spot for him. He's the first. Uh, FBS head coach to follow me on Twitter, which I thought was cool, and and he still follows me even though he's been fired, and I, of course, follow him back. Uh, So I hope he lands somewhere because he seems like a nice guy from our brief interactions we've had. But yeah, then King, they get Barry Odom, who, you know, did great things uh, at Arkansas and is very well respected, and so it's hard to say that that's... I just talked great about Arroyo. It's hard to say that maybe it's not an upgrade, viewed as an upgrade at the head coach position, but just like we talked about with Fickle, it's not necessarily an indictment on Odom, but UNLV recruiting has really dropped off over the course of the new four-year average ratings. They now currently sit King at, as I look at it, I'm going to have to scroll for a little bit to find them. number 114 out of 133 now with the addition of Sam Houston in Jacksonville State. So thoughts on that, King, and also any programs that I didn't mention that you look at and say, holy cow, what happened to this team in the recruiting this year?
1: Yeah, my uh, my comment was gonna be uh, was Wisconsin as well, but I'm using the, I'm using this as an excuse because Purdue's in this, just like UNLV, Purdue's in the same boat. New coach, hard to get some traction in the first season. You got Purdue sitting down there at 65th uh, on the national recruiting rankings, according to On Three. That's not really what you want to see. But again, just like. Fickle at Wisconsin, just like Odom at UNLV. I think you got to give those guys a little bit of time. A name that's brought up with me that I that I'm very interested to see the state of the program going forward. This was a hot coaching name, Lane Kiffin down at Ole Miss. Not maybe holding in the recruiting class that he wanted, still very high on the transfer rate that Ole Miss is. But if you look back at the last couple of years maybe haven't gotten quite those those the same level of, of high school commits that they had. Now, again, I think Ole Miss has a little bit of a ceiling there compared to some of the other schools in the SEC with the resources and how they approach their administration. But that's one to keep an eye on there from from the SEC that doesn't appear to me it's it is minus school if you look in recruiting rank, but they have dropped a few spots and, and I, I think that could potentially be trending in a downward direction going forward as much as a Lane fan
0: as I am. So, King, here's what I'll say about Ole Miss. My numbers agree with, with your sentiment there. Ole Miss is down three spots. They're down 2.4 points on the 0-100 to 100 scale, which that's more important than the spots. That's, that's the, the amount that they're down. They're number 24 now nationally in the weighted four-year recruiting rankings. King, they're a top 25. They recruit at a top 25 level on average and with these weightings over the last four years. Here's the kicker, though, and the concerning part for Ole Miss Despite being number 24, that is still number 12 out of 14 in the SEC. You are only ahead of Missouri and Vanderbilt wow. at number 24. So it, you you wow. look at that and yeah. you say, "Hey, we're still in good shape. We're recruiting at a top 25 level, and it's all good." You know, many programs, most programs, would take that because you're in the SEC and the gap's not big. But the, the teams right in front of them King. 23 is Mississippi State, 22 is Arkansas, 21 is Kentucky, 20 South Carolina. So you've got four teams right in front of you in the four spots right in front of you. So it's all bunched up. You're all right there together. But <clears throat> to be where you are at number 12 out of 14, that could be concerning. And what I'll say, King, is I think Lane Kiffin's a good coach. I know there was smoke around him, you know, with Auburn as well as some other places. And who knows what, what was real, what wasn't, what was trying to get a raise, what was everything that goes into all of those things. I, I don't, we don't know. But... What could have happened as a side effect of this, a consequence of this, recruits who are looking at Ole Miss, if there's any indecision there about, oh, I don't know, I know Lane says he's staying, but I'm hearing this about Auburn, I'm hearing that about the other spot, I'm hearing this there, Someone, this coach is in my ear saying he's leaving, did that have an impact on any recruits who were considering Ole Miss who ultimately decided, I am not going to go to Ole Miss right now because Lane Kiffin might not be there. and If I go there, I'm going there for him. For a long time, King, I, I said and I felt strongly because it's what was told to me and what was taught to me as I went through the experience, not as a football athlete, but as you know, a different sport athlete, don't commit to a coach, commit to the school. And it sounds really good in theory. And that's what you, quote, should really try to do. But the reality is, King, especially in football and especially in basketball, all the other sports too, you're committing to a coach. I mean that, that that's the fact of the matter. You're committing for the relationship, you're committing for for what you've what you've created with the relationship with him, with that staff over time throughout the process. And when a coach leaves, it's not a guarantee that the players are leaving, right? We saw when Lincoln I remember when Lincoln Riley left, uh, some players did go with him to USC, Caleb Williams most notably. Other players stayed. It's not that everybody's going to go or follow the coach or transfer out. But a lot of them do, because when you're committing, you do commit to the coach. So I don't really say that or believe that anymore. I do think in an ideal world, you should commit to the school. You should commit to the academic major that you want to do, all that stuff. But I know better now. I work in college athletics. I know how it goes. That's not what happens.
1: It's a sales job, dude. Just like anything in life, it's relationship-based. It is. There's 100% truth to that. You pick your school that you like, you think you can go enjoy, have a good time at for four or five years, You know, six years now if it, in, in this today's college world. But... At the end of the day, you're going to play for, for a specific coach, specific coaching staff, and that's where a large portion of that decision comes in. And for their parents, two of these kids, they want to make sure they're sending their their sons' daughters off for whatever sport we're talking, college football, sending them off to play for a respectable program and, a, and a, a staff that they can trust is going to take care of their their, their, their
0: child. No doubt whatsoever. Absolutely agree. King, we've talked about uh, my weighted four-year recruiting rankings quite a bit. We've talked about SEC, Big Ten. We've talked about uh, pro- programs that are trending up in recruiting, programs that are trending down in recruiting. What else do you want to hit?
1: I got one more point, and then I just I want to close with unless you've got anything else to say. Uh, my question to you, Kelly, is, is did Jalen Rashada collect more than $13 million from Arizona State University? King. what's your gut tell you? cuz you read about all that oh, right you saw that that's why he oh, left florida oh, is because oh yes. he was that, supposed to get 13 million that, y- so you think arizona
0: ponied up so <clears throat> arizona state yeah so um arizona yeah. state yes uh, yeah, you, yeah you said it the first time um king the whole okay I, i'll give you my i'll give you my <laughs> honest opinion because i'm tired of trying to be politically correct and say the right thing and do king this is a prime example of why While I support NIL and I like the, I have been on the bandwagon of NIL, name, image, likeness, since long before I was ever working in college athletics, long before I was a working professional, period. I never made sense to me why a student athlete couldn't make money. If somebody in the public, at a grocery store, at a car dealership, out on the street, if somebody saw me, and I'm Kelly Ford, quarterback at Um, XYZ University. Ohio State. State. I'm quarterback at Ohio State, and I'm a Heisman Trophy candidate last year, favorite to win it this year. I've won a national championship, whatever. And I'm walking down the street of Columbus, and somebody walks up to me and says, Kelly, Kelly, here's 20 bucks. Can you sign this for me? It never made sense to me why a student athlete was not able to do that right then and there. Because if I'm Kelly Ford, mechanical engineering student at Purdue University, which I was, and I'm walking down the street there uh, in West Lafayette, and somebody always said me and says, Oh my gosh, you're Kelly Ford, mechanical engineers do it. Can you sign this for me for twenty bucks? Nobody ever did that for the record. But if someone did, I could sign it and I could take their twenty dollars. Why could a student athlete not do the same thing? And that's just like that's a very it's a very common or or simplified example, but I was I've always been and maintain my support for NIL. Where it gets tricky, King, is it went unregulated for a while. It was kinda of the wild, wild west. I know the NCAA is working on ways to um, fix that, and they're getting a little bit more meat on the bone in terms of their enforcement and what they can do from a regulatory standpoint. I'm not blaming the NCAA here. They were pushed and pressured into doing it on a timeline that we work, I'll speak for myself, but people working in college athletics administration knew it was going to be a disaster because things were not thought out well enough. We didn't flush out all the different things, but Congress was pressuring, student athletes were pressuring, lawyers were pressuring, coaches were pressuring, it had to get done. It got done. Here we are. And now there's a little bit of a mess that we need to clean up uh, and that's being worked on. And again, this is no fault of the NCAA. I am not suggesting that at all. This is what I don't like, though, King. These types of situations where School A, let's call it what it is, Florida, promises this deal. He says, all right, I'll come there for that deal. Then they say, oh, wait a minute. Actually, we can't do this deal for this reason, that reason, the other. He says, all right, then I'm out. And now it's a whole firestorm. I'm not blaming him for getting out. I'm not blaming Florida for not being able to follow, excuse me, I'm not blaming Florida for not being able to do the deal. I would blame Florida for saying they could do the deal and then not being able to actually follow through. This is a very good case of don't promise things to people that you don't write checks that you can't cash. And so don't let your, sorry, don't let your mouth write checks that you can't cash. And that's what happened here. And that's what I think we're gonna start seeing in more places, King. So I've rambled long enough to answer your question. I do think that, I don't know what the number is, King. I think that he was looking for a specific deal, a specific threshold, a specific number or a package. Maybe it wasn't just money, maybe it was other things that come with it. Again, hopefully all within the rules of NIL, which, you know, what are those we shrug and say, I'm not really sure. But within the rules, whatever it was, Arizona was able to meet those demands. And yes, I do mean demands, that's what they were, which, you know, is a whole new world of where we are with student athletes demanding things. and. You know, because of the power they have and the environment we're in, schools that can meet that, get their services for the time being. We'll see how long he's there. I, always, I hope he has a great career. I hope it's all at Arizona State. Because to me, King, the bigger takeaway is I don't love how it all plays out. I'd like to see student athletes when they go somewhere. i like to see them stay. And again, this is maybe is you know, back in my day or the good old days. I'm not going there. It's great to have the flexibility to transfer around. Coaches have it, student athletes should have it. I'm good with that. The one-time free transfer, I'm good with that. Sure, great. It doesn't mean I wouldn't like to see them stay though. This is part of why National Signing Day doesn't mean as much as it used to, in my opinion, because it used to be 99% of the time when somebody committed to your school on National Signing Day, you were getting them for three or four years. Now, when they commit to your school on National Signing Day, you get them for one year. And everything after that is TBD. So I, I don't know, King. Did he get the amount of money? Did he get $13 million from Arizona State? I don't know. But he signed with them, so he must have gotten what it was he wanted. At Florida, it was $13. i am assuming it was 13 or similar there. So I don't know, King. That's a lot. I know that was pretty honest and open. Hopefully it was uh, all right. I have no idea, but that's where I'm at.
1: Well, that's what we, yeah, that's what we were trying to get from there. Kelly it was an honest opinion on that, but it, it's clear he got the bag, and it's unfortunate that we're in this situation where even if there were different factors, there were different reasonings or issues that came up in, in, with the conversations with Florida, in which Florida was not able to secure him, you know, the deal or the money that was promised. It's unfortunate that that's kind of how Rashad is going to be looked at now going forward, you know, his commitment to Arizona State, it's like he wasn't getting $13 million. And if you were to look back to two, even three years ago, now, that would just be an insane conversation to think about, although a lot of people saw that it was trending, but because you weren't getting $13 million, you're going to back out of your college commitment in state guy like that go all the way across the country. So it's just a completely different world now, and, and, and I think it is always a little bit unfortunate that he's always going to be associated with that. But again, you don't blame the kid at all. Florida not being able to come through, that's a problem that they've got to deal with internally. And it's just going to be, and, and I always wonder kind of like what happened with viewers at Ohio State, when you commit to a kid with this kind of money, is there a clause in place where they've got to commit to stay at your school for at least three years, right? What if he wants to transfer after one year? Does that, does that void your deal? That's a completely different topic of conversation. I don't think, you, you definitely have more insight than me, but I don't think either of us really understand all the inner workings with how those deals work and everything like that. So it's a little bit of a mess, but I just wanted to make a quick little joke about it. Jalen Rashada got the bag; good for him. We'll see what happens. I'm high on Arizona State and Dillingham, but uh, it's just an it's a unique situation. I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. For
0: you. Arizona State, for the record, of my number sitting number 67 in the weighted four year recruiting ranking. So, you know, the the end of the Herm Edwards era wasn't great. There was a lot of things going on. Uh, we'll see how they go moving forward. I do think I'm not an NIL expert. I don't work in compliance. I do think there is something though where you cannot tie the, NI, the NIL deal, money, package, whatever you want to call it, cannot be tied to playing the game. Because then that becomes pay for play, which is why I don't believe, if I'm not mistaken, you can't say, here's your payment schedule. You're going to get $13 million per year or over the course of four years on this schedule, three years this or three mil this year, four mil that year, whatever. You can't say it like that, King, because then it's tied to them being at your school, playing for your team. So, it can't be pay-for-play. That is one of the concrete rules there is. But I don't know much more than that. I, I should probably educate myself, you know, working in college athletics. That's something I should probably know. King, we talked about Nick Saban earlier. That's the last thing I'll say, and then I know we're going to get out of here. The last thing, though, I saw this. Uh, I saw it posted on Twitter. It was a few days ago. I didn't, like, fact-check and do it. Do a bunch of research to confirm it's right. But the, I think I know where you're going with this. This I thing got shared quite this. a bit. I didn't see a whole lot of blowback or pushback. This is totally inaccurate. So, it's dangerous to go off conjecture, but this is out there, and it said, the headline is, Alabama's Nick Saban rejected two players who were searching for $1.3 million combined in NIL money report. Here's what it says. Uh, this is a quote. Someone, this is a Nick Saban quote, Someone with one of the best corners in the nation in high school came to me and asked if we'd pay them $800,000 for the player to sign here. I told him he could find another place to play. I'm not going to go into who he said or who said it might have been about. Next thing, when asked about the portal, somebody confirmed that Saban said this. We lost 10 players and one starter to the portal this year. One of them wanted $500,000 and for us to get his girlfriend into law school at Alabama and pay for it. I showed him the door. Okay, if this is true, which I have no reason to believe it's not, but if this is true, this only solidifies my thoughts, feelings, and reverence for Nick Saban. I am not saying that Nick Saban and Alabama are not paying massive NIL deals to players on their team. What, I'm sa- what this is saying, though, is that Nick Saban says, okay, I have this pool of money, often called a collective, I have this collective mm-hmm. that we can allocate money or resources, whatever those might be, to our team. We are going to determine that quarterback X is worth this much and wide receiver Y is worth this much and defensive lineman C is worth this much. And guess what? Somebody who asked for half a million dollars and for us to get your girlfriend into law school and to pay for it here at Alabama? No, we're not doing that. I very much respect Nick Saban for saying no to these things, showing people the door, telling them to play other places. Again, he's Alabama is paying people NIL money just like everybody else. I'm not saying they're not, but at least it's not a bend over backwards, do everything for everybody to make them all happy, to keep them all, and... At least it's not what Florida has done. And I'm sure others, we only know about Florida because it blew up with such notoriety here of saying, sure, we'll get you $13 million, and then not being able to follow through. Do what you say you're going to do.
1: No doubt. And respect to saving and that. And the fact that we're at a point where, you know, these kids or these kids' camps think they're entitled enough to ask, Nick Saban, the University of Alabama, for something like that is absolutely bizarre to me. You know, it's like good for Saban. Okay, you can see the door. I've got 25 other four and five star, 30, 40 other four and five star recruits on my roster right now. We don't need one player. One player does not make our team. So that's amazing. Good for Saban as well. And I'm sure there are very few coaches that are handling that like that. I'm sure there's a lot of promises that are not coming through in a lot of situations, would be my guess. So. Again, another, another. I hate it, I hate Alabama, but Nick Saban, man, it's tough to hate that
0: guy. I agree with you, King, I think there's a lot, and, and maybe this is a luxury that Nick Saban can afford because he is Nick Saban, True. and he's won all these national championships, and he has the respect of every other coach out there, maybe not Jimbo, and every recruit out there and all of those things. So maybe other coaches feel they can't do this because they need to acquire as much talent as they can. Not that Saban doesn't feel that way, but maybe he thinks I can get it done without promising all these things. I don't know, but I certainly respect that. King, anything else, or was, was that it? Was that we wrapping on that? No, nope,
1: I think that's. I think that's a good good spot to wrap here for for National Signing Day. Kelly. Love it.
0: All right, King. Well, this has been fun. A little bit shorter than usual. I think that's what we wanted this week. Uh, we'll be back soon with more. Until next time, this has been the We Hate Your Team Podcast, a proud partner of the BSN Collegiate Network.